<laughs> I disagree with your disagreement. <laughs> okay, don't include any of this, by the way. Oh, I'm not. No, I just started it. Okay. Just a second. Okay. So. Don't include that part where I gave that secret away. <laughs> that government secret that I just found out. Oh, yeah, I know. I don't include that, that part. That I, should have, I should have never been saying that when the mic was on. So make sure to edit that out. Okay. That was pretty crazy, huh? It's already edited out. Oh, good. Right. Oof. Okay. Can you imagine if the public knew about that? Like, can you imagine if our listeners knew what I just found out? They would just go crazy. I mean, and if the media got a hold of that? Dude. Oh, my God. Not even. Just wow. All right. Anyway. Save that for season three. That'll be the big reveal in season three. Speaking of which, when is season two ending? I know, right? (laughs) No, I mean, I I don't mean that in a bad way. Right. What was the first one? 58 episodes? Yeah, so we've done as many episodes. So 116? Would be yeah, which end. is like right about now, I guess. A couple more. I guess. Do you want to like take a Christmas break? Well, Christmas is still a long way from Yeah, do you want to take a break now? <laughs> take a break now until Christmas and start again no, no, at Christmas? No, no, no. Yeah. You can't take a break now and through the Christmas holiday. So we could, I mean, yeah. We can't can take we, a break. We definitely can't take a break yet. We got to right. get through this election and post election and kind of see what yeah. happens. And then, and then possibly maybe Nashville. December break, maybe December break. Yeah. Possibly maybe Nashville. right after Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Do you want to welcome everybody to the yeah, show? Okay. Right. When you open the door for somebody else. Welcome back. To the Vaccine Conversation with Melissa and Dr. Baum. I welcomed you back instead of in because we haven't done this for, it seems like, quite a while. And you have dementia. (laughs) You have dementia already? You're like, what did I, what did I used to say? (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember what I used to say. I love that. You can't do that voice without the cane. I'm using an invisible cane. Yeah, I know, she's using a cane. (laughs) Y'all can't see that cane, but it's there. Yep. And Melissa's already practicing her y'alls. So I'm already practicing my y'alls because why? <laughs> because we are coming to Texas, y'all. Yeehaw. Woohoo. <laughs> um, we forgot our cowboy hats. Oh, for this I know. Do you podcast. have a cowboy hat? I don't, but hypothetically, if I did, we should be wearing them for this. I think our listeners would be able to feel it. Don't you think? Yeah, they could tell. I'm sure they could tell. They could hear the cowboy hat. I mean, I have like a toy cowboy hat in their (laughs) costume bucket at our house, you know, that the kids used to play with. Does that count? Do you and Cheryl still use that costume bucket? (laughs) (laughs) Your children are grown, Dr. Bob. (laughs) Why do you still have a costume bucket? (laughs) For the grandbabies. Oh, yes. Because I have one of those now. Yes, you do. Have I said that on the podcast? I've said that. But way too young for costumes not even she's eight months she can't be wearing cowboy hats already that thing would fall over her face yeah she's crawling yeah she's standing oh they just spent like two and a half weeks out here yeah that's a long time oh so amazing can't even tell you remember when you used to like your kids <laughs> that that comes back wait wait now i have dementia <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, that's the great thing, though. The great thing is being able to share duties with somebody for a child, and, and then you get to enjoy them. 
because you're not the one parenting them. You're not the one doing most of the grunt work and you're doing it and it's temporary. So you can actually, I mean, I used to nanny for a little boy. I loved it. I did it for a couple of years. I love, 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 loved it. In fact, that's what made me think I'd be so prepared to be a mom. (laughs) And then I found out, wow, it's totally different when you don't have somebody to hand them off to or hand them back to. But yeah, I love young kids, especially young kids. They were always my favorite. It was amazing though. But yeah, it is tiring. I mean, we'd spend all day like playing with her and and then the the kids were staying at a different house. So Cheryl and I would get to, you know, leave and go home. And we'd be like, Oh Yeah. <laughs> that is a lot of work. And you don't have to put them to sleep yeah, and, yeah. and make sure they're sleeping. I mean, it depends. Well it's fun to watch your kids raise their baby and and I mean it was just such a joy. It's little uh, Beatrice Jane is what her name is and she, I think the, the funnest part of them visiting was they're doing the baby led feeding mm-hmm. techniques instead of like, like baby food, you know, instead yeah. of pureed stuff, they just, you know, throw her a piece of broccoli, throw right. her a whole plum. And I have these great pictures of she's, <laughs> and this is, they don't treat her like a first child because she's literally crawling around on the floor, like painting the floor with a plum, oh, she's... picking it up, sucking on it. You know, it's been all over the floor. But that's not really even the danger. It's, to me, I'd be more like my floor's dirty. And no, now no, I have no, to no, that's that. the thing. Yeah, they, she'd basically like just all this kind of dirty stuff in her but mouth. I wouldn't worry cause... about the baby. That's what I'm saying. I'd be worried about the floor. Oh. Like now I have to clean. <laughs> that's more just a mess for me to clean up. I never, oh, I never bought into it. Well, the I whole... didn't have to clean it up. Well, I know. Yeah. Lucky you. But I, I wouldn't think, oh, that's yeah. a danger to the baby. No, I think do a you... lot of first time parents do. Oh, yeah. Really? Something falls on the floor. They go over to the sink, wash it off. But at home? Give it back to the baby. I don't know. So she just made such fun messes. Spoken <laughs> with, like a dad. <laughs> just fun like with, with different food, whatever eating for dinner and breakfast, she would just grab a handful. And, and who cleaned and it play up? Around. I suppose someone must have. Oh, and it wasn't <laughs> you. This is why as you recount the story, this is fun. This is exactly why. Uh, but yeah, so I'm coming off of like a couple of weeks of, of joy that way. And, and we'll see him again soon. And yeah, when do you see hopefully. him again? Um, gosh, probably not. Oh, maybe Thanksgiving. Oh, that's like not that long. That's like next month. I know. (laughs) (laughs) To us, it's like an eternity. Oh, geez. What that must be like to have that kind of free time where you can be bored. But but Texas, right? We are super excited. So I think we told you guys, gave you a little preview a couple weeks ago that we're on our way to Texas, but now it's official. It's officially booked November 5th for our podcast event, but it's going to be part of a three-day event. So that's going to be November 5th, 6th, and 7th. November 5th is, what is it called, Farmer's Branch? Yeah, Farmer's Branch is the city just north of Dallas. Okay, so near the Dallas area. I mean, people... Seats are limited. Right, so we're going to post this on, I guess the main place you would get tickets is immunityeducationgroup.org. We have a podcast tour tab like on our homepage of our website, immunityed.org or immunityeducationgroup.org. Go to the tour page. You'll see Dallas, Texas. You'll be able to buy a ticket. I'm, I assume they're probably going to sell out pretty fast because we don't have you know tons available. And then November 6th event is going to be a kind of an open house uh, virtual event. But also if you're nearby, you can actually come through. You just have to reserve your spot. And that will be not our podcast event, but some other topics that we'll be covering. That's going to be in Arlington, Texas. And then a family fun day Saturday, which yeah. will be at a farm. And I think that's also near Arlington. So we'll have the details on the 6th and 7th coming up soon. But we definitely know 
Thursday night, November 5th, we found a great place with some people who are very supportive of what we're doing. Cool. To back us by allowing us to be there and have a couple hundred people coming together safely to, um, to talk about not just a vaccine topic, which is what we were intending on doing, but so much has changed since March. And we cannot have an event without talking about what's going on with COVID. We right. cannot go to an event where we're helping to facilitate education and discussion on medical freedom without talking about perhaps one of the greatest in our lifetimes anyways, medical, I, I don't want to use the word scandal per se, but there's something very wrong with what's going on and how we've handled it, not just as a country, but other countries have hopped on board to the same thing. Rights have been taken away all over the place. And we really don't know when they're coming back. We don't know when things are going to go back. We don't know when these what I consider very unconstitutional mandates are going to go away. We don't know if laws are going to get stricter. We don't know what's going to happen when the vaccine comes out. There is so much happening. This is a medical freedom issue. And this is an informed consent issue. And possibly the biggest one of our lifetimes that we're dealing with right now. And so even though Dr. Bob's not ex that excited about it, we have <laughs> to talk about this when we come together because this is a time to discuss standing up for freedoms. And it, it involves vaccine safety and it involves being able to re yeah. retain those exemptions as parents for our children uh, when we can opt out of certain doses and being able to have the, the control and power to protect your child with your parental rights. So that's a real thing. But it also now is coming over into our everyday life, whether or not we can go back to work, whether or not we can go to any biz place of business, whether or not our kids can go to school. This has literally affected everything without asking the public what they feel comfortable with or not. This has just happened. So we're all kind of scrounging around here going, now what do we do? And we've been looking at data for seven, eight months now, trying to see whether this has been warranted. And in my opinion, it hasn't, it hasn't been. There's not data right. to say that. Right. And I just watched a, a great interview with Dr. Scott Atlas today, actually. Cool. Um, it was like a 45-minute interview. I'll do a podcast about it on my side podcast, What They Aren't Telling You, um, about it. Because what I like is that he talks a lot about the things that we've talked about. He talks a lot about the overestimation of models. Yeah. And how dangerous that's been. He talks about the fear-mongering of the public health officials and the media and how dangerous that's been. He talks about the misunderstanding, purposeful misunderstanding of the herd immunity strategy mm -hmm. and how that's never been the intention of any policymaker because it's not really a strategy. It's a byproduct of trying to protect the most vulnerable and allow the rest of the country to stay open. It's a byproduct, but that's the way all infectious disease works. We will all be exposed to it until enough of us have been exposed to it, and then the outbreaks stop. It's always been that way. It's funny to see people talk about it right now going like, oh my God, heard of me. How, you know, how insensitive of you. You're thinking, do you understand that's how it always works and how it's <laughs> always worked? And you know what he brought up, which I thought you'd like, is he said, if you don't believe in herd immunity as an effective way to stop an outbreak, then you shouldn't be supporting universal vaccination. 
Mm, He said, because universal vaccination is exactly based on the theory of herd immunity. So if you support vaccination as a population, which we know 95% or more of the population does, at least on some level, they're believing in herd immunity. Because whether it's vaccine-induced, which we know doesn't work exactly the same, or naturally-induced, that concept is the foundation for why you have a vaccine in the first place. So the same people that are arguing against us looking at this as a herd immunity approach are also the ones waiting for a vaccine that is supposed to create herd immunity to stop the outbreak. It's the same thing, whichever way that you get it. But um, one thing I posted about this week on my social media was, and I think what you and I have talked about this briefly, is this whole idea that that herd immunity threshold might be very low, much lower than we thought. Yeah. And I think... um, I heard, oh, it was um, when Trump had the town hall with um, Savannah Guthrie. I just saw a part of it. She was really, really going to town about um, this idea that President Trump, you support a herd immunity. That 10% of the the country has gotten it, which means 90% of the country is susceptible. That means guaranteed deaths. And of course, she's talking hundreds of thousands, if not more deaths. And I think this is probably the most misunderstood thing about coronavirus and what's going on right now is there's the idea of a herd immunity threshold not being 70% after all because it's not new. Right. It's not new enough right. to need the entire population to get it. It's new-ish or a variation of, but, but like we had talked about before and I've mentioned on my podcast also is that we look at the um, that 30 to 50% that they looked at blood samples and found that there was active protection in T-cell immunity years before COVID was even discovered, COVID-19 was discovered. So if that's true, and we have that portion of the population that has protective, um, not not so much antibodies, but protection because of the T-cell immunity, the cross-reactivity or whatever, if you have that plus you have the percentage of people that have been exposed already, then you're much closer to the number than you think. In fact, in some areas you're already there. Yeah. Yeah. The the point being is there have been hundreds of coronaviruses that we've all been exposed to over the last 20, 30 years, maybe even thousands. Like, I don't know how many, but coronaviruses are cold viruses. And every year there's a common cold and there's dozens of different viruses that go around. So we've all had so much coronavirus exposure already that you're right. We don't necessarily have a lot of like Uh, presently active antibodies ready to pounce, but we have the T-cell immunity, which is like the long-term immunity. We all have that long-term memory in our immune systems of having fought dozens of other coronaviruses, and many of our immune systems are ready to pounce and fight off this coronavirus too. And that's kind of the whole point. You add all those people to the number of newly infected people, and you're right, we have possibly reached herd immunity in a lot of areas. But could that be why kids are so unaffected by this? Because, well, they've had a lot of recent coronavirus coronavirus exposures over the last, you know, few years Mm -hmm. and the early years of their life. Yeah, that's that's possibly one reason. Because the same was true for SARS-CoV-1, which is also in the coronavirus family. It also was not killing children. Yeah. Where we've talked about the flu can kill children, but for whatever reason, SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2 almost never kills people under 18 years old. And I wonder, when I think of the common cold, I definitely think of children. 
think of children passing these back to each other um, in, in environments where they're together more so even than anything else. Wouldn't you say like you probably, your clientele, your patients probably deal with coronaviruses almost more than anything else. Yeah, oh yeah, certainly. I mean, more than what adults, and it, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about this. So my kids had a little cold this week for the first time since last year. They haven't had a cold since probably last year. And um, I didn't get it. And I think it's funny. I've I never get the head the little head colds when Sereni had gotten them from preschool or from her school when she was getting okay. them like once a month. I never got one. Yeah. And I and I think about that sometimes. You know, p- they try to say like, oh, this immunity doesn't last, and that's the the re- big question right now. Oh, coronavirus immunity is not going to last. And it's like I wonder though, because these kids are passing these colds and they're able to handle these stronger infections a little better because of that prior immunity. But as adults, we don't really, I feel like as adults, we tend to get more of the flu, right? More of those kinds of things, less coronaviruses that in my experience anyway. No, you're right. And and like I'm around this all day long in the office, Um, not so much coronavirus because, or not, not COVID-19 because um, no one's sick, you know, no kids are coming in sick. But um, I'm around this, you know, my whole life, and I never catch all these common colds right. from kids. Um, probably, probably because of of a lifetime of immunity building. But maybe there's there's just something different about the adult immune system that we just don't catch everything that comes around. If if we're healthy, you know, if you're right. living a healthy lifestyle. But that could affect why yeah. some people have an easier time with COVID nineteen. Yeah, it could all be connected to this. But but why why do you think people aren't having that discussion? Like, this is the thing that, okay, so I was thinking about this yesterday. And and just so you guys know, we're just having a random episode about oh, yeah. random things. Yes, Ran- random exactly. thoughts with Dr. Bob and Melissa. <laughs> Melissa and Dr. Bob. Um, I was thinking to myself, when you, and I was thinking of how to write this down in a short status update, but it's not so easy because it's, you're limited on space and you have to kind of convey an idea in such a short amount of time, a small amount of space. How come... How come when somebody says, I just had a friend or family member that got COVID, or I just had a friend or family member who maybe got severe sickness from it, or even somebody, one of the few at this point that maybe have died from it, how come when that happens, we aren't saying, how can we become healthier? This is really, really making me concerned. What should we do to become healthier? How come the only thing people say is, this is because some people don't wear a mask? Yes, totally. So I just heard recently about Chris Christie, so who is a model for non-health, by the way, by the way, <laughs> right. and, that, and that's true. Right. I don't care that he's a Republican or Democrat. Somebody tried to say to me, well... A Republican just came out and said, you know, that you should wear masks after he was sick and had a bad sickness with it. I'm like, well, he had a bad sickness with it because he's very unhealthy. He's taken years and years and decades of his life to become that unhealthy, to become more susceptible to all types of illnesses, right? I'm sure he has chronic issues. I mean, it's he's clearly not in a state of health. You're, you're, everybody's going to do worse in that position, right? But for him to come back and be like, everybody wear a mask, why isn't why isn't he coming back saying I'm unhealthy and this really was a wake up call Jeez, for yeah. me and other people to do something different? We're gonna start talking with 
experts on nutrition, experts on physical activity, experts on healthy supplementation. What can we do so I'm not a statistic? How come every time I hear somebody in these local city groups or whatever, how come every single time my so-and-so, my friend just had it, da-da-da, it's these dumb idiots that don't wear a mask. And I'm thinking like, why is the mask the issue? The issue should be internal health so that we can allow ourselves to get something and not worry about it being the end of our lives. I don't understand why we're eight months into this and people still are like completely narrowly focused on the wrong yeah. things. Yeah, well, that's the American pharmaceutical model. You know, we've been in that kind of model of healthcare for many decades. You know, there, you have to find a quick fix, like a medication or a vaccine. You have to use like sterile medical procedures, you know, i.e. mask wearing and social distancing as a quick fix for something. You can't look at the deeper underlying reasons why people are dying from this. Because that, I guess, maybe that just takes too much effort or that takes people away from the pharmaceutical mindset. And so I think a lot of people in the public have bought into that model. You know, let's just rely on our, our doctors, our healthcare system to fix this for us with some sort of fancy medicine. And I think you could ask your same question for almost every chronic disease and lots of serious infections. You know, if we all simply went back to healthy living and good nutrition and healthy lifestyles and being outdoors and exercise and lower stress, that is the answer to almost every health problem there is, not just COVID. But you, you say that to like a, a pharmaceutical professional, you say that to like a medical director of a, of a healthcare system, you say that to a healthcare policymaker in our government, and they stare at you blankly, like, like you just spoke a foreign language to them. That whole concept that you're asking for is so foreign to the powers that be. And that's partly why it's up to us as, you know, on the grassroots level to get the populace to embrace this, this healthier view of, of life and how to solve these kinds of problems. But you say it's the quick fix. The reality, though, is it doesn't fix anything. <laughs> right, right, right. So they're People looking for think a, it does. Well, they're looking for the quick fix. I mean, I'm constantly surprised when I see people all around going everywhere, um, you know, every store, any, anything, if you see people, they are happy as a clam to be going about their, their lives, but they have masks on and they're thinking, ah, thank goodness. Yes. Thank goodness. I have this I'm little safe. thing. I'm yeah. safe. I'm not going to get it. I'm doing my part to keep other people from getting it. Life is good. Life is good again. Right. And you can see this level of relaxation that they have because they've put all of that security into that, you know, two by oh, three thing yeah. across their mouth. And it's really funny to me because if you analyzed it, it's like, have people suddenly forgotten that germs are transferred on your hands too? Right. They've completely forgotten it. It's only the mask. That's the only thing you need. It's like, it's almost like it's a superhero cape. When they put <laughs> it on, they are untouchable. Like they put it on and they go out into the world. Nothing can get them. Germs can't get them. Nothing's going to get them. They've got this magic mask on, this magic. It's like a cape. Yeah. It's like a, really like they think it's a superpower. Yeah. And it, that almost does people a disservice. You're right. The government is giving people the message. You 
put a mask on and go out in public, you are totally fine. How wrong is that? Right. It's that false sense of security. Right. right? I mean, it, yeah. And it not only, you know, makes, not only probably doesn't help, but it, it could end up harming people because people that shouldn't be going out, maybe who are immune compromised, are going to feel totally safe about going to the store now because their magic mask protects them. Or people feel totally comfortable wearing the mask on their way to Starbucks to get a Frappuccino that has 100 grams of sugar in it. Right. As long as they have the mask when they have the transaction with the person that works there, (laughs) it's all about health. Meanwhile, they're going to down something that has 100 grams of sugar, making their immune system more susceptible to all different types of illness. And if they get sick, guess who they're going to blame? They're going to blame the handful of people not wearing masks. Right. Right. Yeah, but that happened in my own family. One of our family members was exposed to COVID at work, and that family member's spouse was angry. He said... He basically said, yes, somebody somewhere didn't social distance and gave this person COVID. And now that person exposed my spouse at work and I'm pissed off. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, because that is the that is his interesting mindset, the way he views this. And I've chatted with him about kind of some of these different ways to look at it. And but yeah, he jumps to the immediate conclusion somewhere, somehow one person didn't social distance properly. This was even before mask wearing. Mm-hmm. And well, that's what I was going to say. Them. That's yeah. how it used to be. It used yeah. to be this person didn't stay home. Yes. We're supposed to be staying at home and sheltering in place. This person didn't stay home and now they put all these lives in danger. Then it became this person didn't wear a mask. This is, this is why I'm looking at this eight months later and I'm hearing the same arguments out of people. If people would have just done this, then this all would have been over by now. Yeah. If people would have just stayed at home for two weeks, we've never had more people at home in a two-week period <laughs> in modern history than right. we did at the end of March. Right. I don't know how many more people could have stayed home at one collective time for two weeks than we had. I mean, honestly, like we had almost everybody in our country was very much taking this seriously. Stay home. Okay. I will stay home for two weeks, do my part to quote, flatten the curve, whatever, slow the spread. So the people after that point that were unhappy that, oh my gosh, a virus is still in circulation. It didn't just go away after those two weeks. What the hell? Instead of going, oh, that's because it's a virus and that's how it works. Instead of doing that, they went with a because some a-hole somewhere didn't stay home. Right. It was all b- blamed on somebody else. Then as the virus continued and continued and continued, because again, this is what happens, especially when you suppress it, it just elongates the process. The entire thing got blamed on Trump, got blamed on Trump supporters, got blamed on reopen rallies, got blamed on anybody who didn't stay home and take this seriously. And then when masks came in July, which was... Um, Funny enough, the combination of when mask mandates came into play, another surge happened, which there are some theories on that, you know, that masks are actually increasing the transmission and spread of of this because of the practices of people using it and and how it's spreading more. But then, then, then now the new conversation has become, this is going on because people aren't wearing masks. And it still comes back to Trump. Trump's the reason, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know where everybody forgot that epidemics happen the way they happen. 
and that virus curves all look the same in all types of infectious disease. I mean, you, if you're a math person and you like graphs, you can literally go look up <laughs> graphs of infectious disease and they are carbon copies of one another. That's how they look. Yeah. They all look yeah. the same. That's not, it has nothing to do with what anybody does or doesn't do. They look the same because that's the way that we see population exposure. Right. And um, all of a sudden, people have forgotten that. Like, they think we can just manipulate everything. Like, we can just control yeah. and manipulate everything. Well, people think that infectious disease in our modern world is unacceptable. We can't have it yeah, because right. we've eliminated all of it with vaccination. We, we haven't, but in right. people's mind. So we are, you know, we're the rulers of this planet. We're human beings who are with modern healthcare. There's no way a disease can just can come along and start making people sick. It's it's unfair. We're almost like we're almost entitled to have a germ-free planet and not have any sort of infectious disease come our way and 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 surprise us. And so yeah, I feel like people I don't know, I just say the idea of accepting the mm. fact that a variation of a common virus of infection has been with us for a long time, but suddenly there's a variation of it. It's going to come through and make people sick, and our society is going to pay a little price of that. I mean, that that's our history. That's the entire history of our planet. What makes us any different than the planet 200 years ago? It's it's not, it's, there, you know, 100 years from now, there's going to be another virus that comes through. This is what's, always going to happen. But what's making people lose perspective? Like, what's making people lose the ability to look at this and see patterns? You know me, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of stepping out and looking at patterns. How come, are, why are people so narrow? They're so far into their little world that they're not able to see this is how it always happened. And like you said, this is how it's going to happen long after we're gone. These are patterns of civilization and disease, infectious disease. Right. But, but, but it sucks if, if you're one of the people that dies from it, of course, or you lose a family member. Okay, I mean, but are we having right. that conversation about car accidents? Are we having that conversation no, about falling so off right. a ladder? You're so I mean, right. Do people yeah. forget people die? Yeah. And yeah. of course it's sad. Like I saw somebody comment on my post today. I put another one of those interviews with people about, and it was about okay. COVID. Okay, oh, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, cool. Uh, it's called The People's Voice. It's a little video segment that I'm doing interviewing members of the public just to really see what they actually think compared to what the media says people think. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, getting a comment on there going, oh, I wonder what these people would really think if it happened to one of their loved ones. You know, every time I hear that, I'm like, you understand that 800,000 people every year die from cardiovascular disease. 800,000, almost four times the number of people that have died from this global pandemic, but just here as United States numbers. You're, so this is every single year, all the time. Do people stop their lives to have a conversation about cardiovascular disease? Do people stay at home so that they can have important conversations about how somebody died today of cardiovascular disease? Yeah. Or you, you want to reduce fatalities? You know, stay home and don't drive. Don't drive as much. You know, if, if you're out, you know, if you're driving your car less, then you are, you know, lowering the risk that someone somewhere is going to die in a car accident. Or that you accidentally kill somebody else right. from one of, from just being on the road yourself. Right, it's an right. odd We game, don't right? do that. Yeah. So, I mean, you ask a great question. What is it about this disease and the timing of this disease and the, the climate in our world? You know, what is it about this disease that suddenly 
I don't know. We feel like we we have to kind of I don't know do some do things that we've just never done before on, on this kind of level. Shut down the entire world economy for a, a cold virus. You know, but, I but mean, again, what, what is it? All the different. I, ways I don't know the answer. I don't know what it is. But. Because everybody's dying in multitude of ways all the time. So again, that's about 2.6 million Americans every single year die. 2.6 million, as in 2600,000. Again, way higher than the total we've had in the first eight months of the year for COVID. People are dying all the time. People die of the most random reasons. But it's not like we're, we're trying to stop all the death there. Right. No, you're, yeah, exactly. Why, why is this the only death that's unacceptable? I know. That's what, yeah, that's what I'm asking. I don't know the answer. Who does? I, I just think people don't know how many people die all the time. Right. I mean, over 100,000 people die in hospitals every year of medical error. I think it's 300,000. Is it? I, I don't know. I know it's like more than 100,000, mm-hmm. and which is just shocking. It's shocking, but yeah, not a single person ever talks about that. Why aren't why aren't hospital employees up in arms about that instead of up in arms about you know uh, personal protective you know equipment for COVID? Well, let's pause here a for a idea. bit and and kind of take a break. And you know, there's so much to talk about which, with this simple idea. I guess that maybe we break it up into two different episodes. So let's hold that thought. And we'll see you guys for part two for uh, this little um, coronavirus update and our tour announcement update. Uh, We will post that very soon. information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Always consult your healthcare professional for information on vaccines and infectious diseases.